On the 8th of August 1918, the British 4th Army under General Rawlinson launched a major attack with French and American units in support on German positions to the east of the strategic railway junction of Amiens in the Picardy region of northern France in an attack known as the Third Battle of Picardy. It was the opening phase of what would become the Allied Hundred Days Offensive and would bring about the end to the First World War. It would be supported by over 2,000 guns and more than 1,000 British and French aircraft and would see the largest tank assault of the war with over 500 British tanks being committed to the battle across 16 kilometres. And in the midst of this display of the industrialization of war, a platoon of B Company 29th Australian Infantry Battalion moved into positions near the recently captured village of Wafusse Aboncor, ready to participate in the second stage of the advance. This week, a look at the 17 men of one platoon made famous by a single photo, who were until recently were lost to time. Welcome to the I Was Only Doing My Job podcast. I'm Ross Manuel, I'm an amateur historian and writer, and this week is a bonus episode where I look at the life, service, and historical impact of 17 men from B Company, the 29th Australian Infantry Battalion, who participated in the Battle of Amiens in the closing stages of the First World War. Right off the bat, allow me to thank Malia Hampton, historian of the Australian War Memorial, and my own personal researcher, Laurie Favell, for doing a bulk of the heavy lifting in this episode. Let's face it, without them, this story would not have been told today. In the past, I've covered several service persons who, through the passage of time, have become separated from photos taken of them. In fact, the first two episodes in this very podcast were about two such men, Bull Allen and John Hines. So when I came across this photo, I knew I just couldn't pick one of the 17 men to talk about. So this episode is probably a good reason to check out our social media pages, our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, as I will upload the photo, which will probably help understand things. The photo is what you would expect. Amongst the lifting fog and smoke of battle, 15 soldiers arrayed in a line, burdened down by the kit and equipment they would need for the upcoming attack, being briefed by their platoon commander. Just looking at this photo, you can already hear the briefing. Words of encouragement and resolve to weary sleep-deprived diggers who, whose courage had been bolstered by the daily rum ration they'd received at 3.30 that morning. And you can almost hear the lieutenant go over the objectives one last time, you know, finishing with a, come on lads, let's do it once more. And yet the identities of these men were lost to history. Even the identity of the photographer was lost. Though it is possible that it was Captain George Hubert Wilkins who was an official Australian war photographer who was active around Amiens at the time this photograph was taken. But the identity of the men themselves would go unknown until 1998. And this was all thanks to the manager of a private museum in the Blue Mountains, west of Sydney, New South Wales. Mr. W.H. Connell was able to identify all 17 men in the picture, using service records and family information to put together notes about each man. And thanks to the work of modern historians some 20 years later, more has been uncovered, but even then, with all this technology, some still remain lost to the ether. Of these 17 men, 12 hailed from around Victoria, 2 would be from New South Wales, and 3 would originate from the British Isles. This disproportionate leaning towards Victorians was due to the fact that the 29th Battalion was raised as part of the 8th Brigade at Broadmeadows Camp in Victoria on the 10th of August 1915, five months into the Gallipoli Campaign. And while the enlistees would have been well aware of the horrors of this new war, the 29th and the 8th Brigade would not depart for Egypt until November, when it embarked aboard the HMAT Ascanius with three men from this photo. But it would actually miss Australia's initial involvement in the Great War. The 29th would join the Australian Imperial Force in Egypt in December, and it was at this point in the war where the AIF was undergoing a period of expansion and retraining, and the 29th would go on to form the core of the newly raised 5th Division. 
In the photo, easily the most identifiable man is, of course, the platoon's commanding officer, Lieutenant Rupert Frederick Arding Downs. He's the soldier on the rightmost side of the image, and he was born on the 23rd of January, 1886, to Frederick William, Frederick William Arthur Downs and Caroline Frances May Thomas, one of five children of a prominent family of graziers in Camden on the southern edge of Sydney, New South Wales. While he did initially enlist in September 1915, he chose to remain in Australia to earn a commission. Prior to departing aboard the troop ship HMAT Afric, he married Katie May Mandrell at St. James Church in Sydney in April 1916. And when he went to war in November as part of the 11th reinforcements to the 29th, she went with to England. She went to England to wait for him, and when he travelled, he did so with Lance Corporal Thomas Pope, seen 13th in the line, carrying a Lewis machine gun. When Downs was formally taken on strength, he proved an able soldier. Eleven days before the photograph was taken, he had led this very group of men in action at Morlancourt in a very determined and skillful manner. Taking his men forward to their final objective and beyond, he organized the destruction of an enemy strong point and resisted a German counterattack. The citation for the military cross he was later awarded read, His personal contempt for danger inspired all under him. Lance Corporal Thomas John Barrett Pope was born on the 7th of November 1890 in Bristol, England, and listed his father, David Barrett Pope, as his next of kin. He was like thousands of other Australian soldiers. He did his duty without complaint or commendation, as his service record is scant of details from when he was taken on strength on the 22nd of March 1917 until he was wounded on the 30th of September 1918 and invalided home. Of these 17 men, only one other would receive a decoration for gallantry. Fourth man in line, Lance Corporal Louis Price, was born on the 27th of January 1895 in Geelong and enlisted in July 1915. He was one of the three in this photo who that left as part of the 29th Battalion's original complement aboard the troop ship Ascanius in November that year. He survived the disastrous Battle of Fromel in July 1916 and took part in the Battle of Polygon Wood in 1917. He would receive the Military Medal for Actions on the 26th of September 1917, when then Private Price was serving as a runner. As was common on the Western Front, the telephone lines had broken down, leaving runners as the only means of sending and receiving messages. Throughout artillery barrages and machine gun fire, Price carried messages and on at least two occasions through gas clouds. In fact, he became seriously affected by gas and but refused to leave the line, and for the next four days he continued his vital job until the battalion was relieved. One of the two men who travelled with Price was Private Frederick George Hall, standing directly in front of Lieutenant Downs. He was born in July 1891 in South Melbourne to George and Rosanna Amelia Hall, and was the platoon's earliest enlistee, having beaten the other digger, Lance Corporal Alexander Bethune Craven, who was standing 7th in line and looking directly at the camera, to the enlistment office by three days. Private Hall had been previously wounded with a contusion to the back on the 23rd of November 1916 that flared up again the following year. Sadly, his war was nearly over. The day after this photograph was taken, he would be badly wounded in the hand he has resting on the shovel in front of him. Lance Corporal Craven was born in August 1894 in Ballarat, Victoria, listing his father Bethune Craven as his next of kin, and like Price and Hall, survived from Ellen Polygon Wood, before Craven received the ignoble injury of being shot in the backside on the 10th of October 1916. He was able to rejoin the unit in October 1917, only to be wounded again on the 26th of November, though he would be able to remain on duty this time. The oldest man in the line is Private Edward Tomlinson. At 43 years and 10 months, he is the 10th man in line, the noticeably short man, as he was only 5 foot tall, and only allowed to sign up due to the lowering of standards when he enlisted in September 1917. He was born on the 13th of September 1874 in Stalwell, Victoria, not far from Ballarat, and was one of 11 brothers, of which six survived to the 1900s. 
By the time the war broke out, he had married Annie Lillian Rothwell in 1905 and was one of only three men who were married in this platoon. He has a service record full of illness and injury, and his younger brother Albert also served in the AIF, though by the time this photo was taken, Private Albert Tomlinson, his brother, had less than three weeks to live. Conversely, the youngest man in the line is Private Harry James Phillips. He's number five. He was born on the 27th of March, 1899, to Frank Edward Phillips and Maud Greyston in Fairfield, Victoria, a suburb of Melbourne. He tried to enlist as soon as he turned 18, but was rejected on medical grounds. He had a hernia. Not to be deterred, one month later, sporting a fresh abdominal scar from a hernia repair, he was successfully able to enlist on the 7th of April, 1917, with the consent of his parents. Three weeks later, after this photo was taken, he'd be badly shot in the left foot and repatriated back to Australia with a wound that would plague him for the rest of his life. Not everyone in this photo was like Phillips, desperately keen to serve in the war. In fact, there is one man in this picture who apparently regretted his decision to enlist as the ink was still drying. Standing next to Phillips is Private Horace Joseph Buckley. He was born in February 1890 in Kyneton, Victoria, which is about 87 kilometers north of Melbourne. When he enlisted on the 2nd of December 1915, he enlisted his mother, Catherine Buckley, as his next of kin. He would go absent without leave 41 days later on the 13th of January 1916, to the point where the military would declare him a deserter through police gazettes. The following year, Buckley enlisted for a second time, this time reaching Durban in South Africa before absconding yet again. After approximately six weeks on the run, he was caught and held in a local prison before transport could be arranged to take him to England in November 1917. When in England and on the Western Front, he continued to go AWOL, and was eventually marched to the front under Provost's escort. Now, there can be no doubt that he's in this photo under duress, although it is of his own doing, having volunteered to serve in the first place. Regrettably, he would be wounded the next day, suffering gunshot wounds to his left hand and face. For Sergeant William Patrick O'Brien, the first man in the photo, he's destined for an even worse fate, as he would only have hours left to live. He was born in February 1894 in Gordon, Victoria, to Cornelius and Annie O'Brien. And before the war, he was a school teacher in Ballarat and had enlisted in early 1916. He had previously served in the Citizens' Military Forces and held a commission within it. This saw him transferred to the AIF's Instructional Staff Base in Australia. He worked there as a Staff Sergeant until October 1917, when he again volunteered to go overseas. He told his friends that he'd been anxious to do his bit, and he was glad to have the opportunity. After taking their objectives, on the 8th of August, the 29th Battalion pushed on to take ground near Vouvillers. After achieving these objectives again, O'Brien was hit by a German shell and killed instantly. His body was recovered after the war and interred in the Serre Road Cemetery No. 2. The cigarette case found with his body was returned to his father. Sadly, he wouldn't be the only death in this platoon. Before the end of the war, two more men would make the supreme sacrifice, and both on the same day. On the 29th of September, as the battalion fought in its last engagement of the war, participating in the major attack on the German defensive structures known as the Hindenburg Line, Third man in line, casually singing his lowest gun over his shoulder, is Private Charles Alfred Olive. He was born in December 1896 from Victoria to Charles and Catherine Olive, and is one of eight children. He enlisted at the age of 19 on the 20th of September 1916, and when he died, he was again in charge of a Lewis gun. In the early hours of the September 29, the platoon was held up by a German strongpoint, and Olive opened fire on it, silencing the German guns within. As the stragglers retreated, Olive kept firing until he was struck in the chest by machine gun fire and killed at the age of 21. He would be recommended to be mentioned in dispatches for being a great assistance to the battalion, though his body would never be recovered. 
and would be commemorated at the Villers Bretonneux Memorial in France. The same fate would sadly befall Private John Leslie Gordon Arlo, pictured second last in line. He was born in March 1894 in Warnable, Victoria to Samuel and Julia Arlo. Before the war, he was a blacksmith striker in Geelong and would go on to contract enteric fever shortly after arriving in England. While he recovered, he met a shopkeeper's daughter named Hilda Gale and the two would marry on the 20th of December 1916. He would not see her or their one-year-old daughter until a few months before his death at the age of 24. Like Private Olive, his remains were not recovered from the battlefield and he is commemorated also at the Villers Bretonneux Memorial in France. Though, unlike Olive, there is no record on the manner of his death. Hilda migrated to Australia after the war and raised her daughter not far from Jack's home in Geelong. Others would be wounded in the fierce fighting that characterised this period between the 8th of August and the 30th of September. Private Horace John Towers, the 12th man in line, was born in May 1888 in Cootamundra, regional New South Wales, to John and Catherine Towers. He was one of seven siblings and was a farm labourer when he enlisted in the Australian Imperial Force on the 12th of July 1916. During the hellish battles of Polygon Wood in 1917, he was wounded in the face and head but was able to return to the unit, where he served throughout 1918. In October, following the battle that claimed the lives of Privates Olive and Arlo, Horace Towers fell ill and would never recover. On November 11, a day in which so many were celebrating the armistice, Private Horace John Towers died of bronchopneumonia in a hospital in Abbeville, France. He was 30 years old and would be buried nearby. The end of the war seemed to come as a relief for most of the men in the platoon, and all by one looked forward to returning home. For temporary corporal John Bird, seen last man in line, who was born 10th of February 1891 to Charles Francis Bird and Mary Annie Shaw of Mansfield, Victoria, he volunteered to join the Graves Registration Detachment and spent several months undertaking the grim task of recovering bodies from the battlefield and reinterring them in newly built cemeteries. After he returned to Australia, he resumed work as a bricklayer, and in 1925, he married Alice Murphy and raised a family, dying in 1945, at the age of 52. For the 11th man in line, Private Herbert Davidson, born 3rd of November 1887 in Brunswick, Victoria, when he enlisted on the 1st of August 1917, he was the third married man in the platoon, and had two children, the youngest of whom was only a few months old when he enlisted. Although he was not wounded and had an exemplary service record, he did not enjoy good health in the post-war years, and holds the unfortunate record of the first to die in the post-war period when he passed away in 1928 at the age of 41. While most of the men in this photograph seem to have coped with their life after the war, the same is not true of Horace Joseph Buckley, our deserter, who spent a considerable amount of time in and out of asylums in the 1920s, though it is unclear if this was related to his war service. He would sadly die in Lidcombe State Hospital in 1940 at the age of 51. While most of the men returned to their pre-war vocations or tried new prospects, some still had to contend with the physical scars of their service, like ninth in line, Private Timothy Layden, born in August 1892 in Tretham, Victoria, to Kathleen O'Farrell and Timothy Layden. He was gassed in late August and would suffer from the effects of for the rest of his life, and despite the persistent chest problems, he returned to work on the railways. When he died in 1941 after a failed operation, his casket was draped with the Australian flag as a tribute to one who had served his country well. He was 49 when he died. Private James Cryer, the second man in line, born in January 1886 in Lancaster, England, to William and Mary Cryer, had one or two problems complying with military discipline over the course of the war, but had a few problems returning to civilian life. 
He had come to Australia from Edenfield near Manchester, England in 1912 with a group of young single farmers, but ended up working in Sydney as a labourer. He married Edith Coombs in 1926 and lived in Darville Street Eastwood for more than 40 years. In 1952, the couple spent several months in England visiting James's family. He died in Sydney in 1973, the age of 88. Two men from this photo would also go on to serve in the Second World War, Lance Corporal Pope and Lieutenant Downs. Alongside Lieutenant Downs' son, Rupert Frederick Arding Downs, who also served in the Royal Australian Air Force before he was killed in action in 1942. As time progresses onwards, most of these men would marry and have children, before they would all join their brothers in the great beyond, with the last being Lance Corporal Price, who returned to Australia in, in March 1919 and took up work on the railways. The following year, he married Katie McDonough, and they had a daughter. His life, however, was not easy. His daughter died in 1921, followed by his wife in 1924. He married Alice Drew two years later and started another family. His eldest son, Louis Jr., died in 1940, aged 12. Nevertheless, he had a long marriage to his second wife and raised three more children. Price, one of the earliest to enlist in the men in this picture, was also the longest lived of them all. He died in 1993 at the age of 98. This iconic photograph contains a wild diversity of experiences. These men included laborers, leather workers, school teachers, clerks, packers, and farmers. They were young and old, married and single, sober and inebriate. One had contracted venereal disease already, another would contract it before going home. Three had been formally punished for bad behavior, and most had clean conduct sheets. They had been wounded in the legs, backs, buttocks, and faces. They had lost brothers in battle and wept as they laid them to rest. At least three would raise sons who served in the next world war, four would lose their lives in this war, and four would live beyond their 80th birthday. Some suffered from injuries and illnesses as a result of their service, others registered no medical disabilities or problems. Most of these men, a minuscule but representative group of individuals in the midst of an immense global war, would come home, find wives, marry, and settle down. The photograph of these men, most of whom would have not have known each other before joining up, returned to Australia as brothers, and this photo is a single moment in time caught in the midst of a warfare on an epic scale perhaps captures the realities of Australia's experience more than any other. And that brings us to the end of a special episode about the 17 men of Amion. Next time on the I Was Only Doing My Job podcast, in the lone pine, the moving of the dead goes steadily on. All hope of getting them out for burial is given up, and they have been dragged into saps and recesses, which will be filled up. The bottom of the trench is fairly clear. You have not to stand on any as you walk along, and the bottom of the trench is not springy, nor do gurgling sounds come from under your feet as you walk on something soft. While some men go to war to save the lives of others, some go to save their souls. Next week on the I Was Only Doing My Job podcast, I go into the life, service, and legacy of one of the most decorated chaplains of the Australian Defence Force, veteran of both the First World War and the Anglo-Boer War, Reverend Walter Ernest Dexter. Thanks for listening to the I Was Only Doing My Job podcast, a Doc Network production. I would really appreciate it and would help out the show if you would share this or leave a comment on Spotify or Google Podcasts or anywhere you listen to podcasts as it really helps others find the show. If you want to know more about today's episode with photos, show notes and transcripts, head over to www.thedocnetwork.net and follow the show on IWODMJ on Instagram. Don't worry, there'll be a link in the description. If you want to follow me for more history hijinks and random nerdery, you can follow me on practically everything at at Doc Winters. Once again, my name is Ross. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time. Bye.